Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Today's episode illustrates something that I have alluded to in some of the past episodes in that when I'm speaking to you, I don't know who you are. I, I know a few things that I can, you know, take to the bank. I know that you either already play bluegrass music, some variety of it, or you want to. That I can be pretty confident of because who would, who would listen to this podcast if they weren't in that target audience? So that much I know. But if you play bluegrass, or you want to, there are a wide variety of classifications, you could say, groups of people, subsets of that group, who all have different needs and desires and goals. And so I'm sitting here in this podcast trying to, A, entertain you a little bit, B, present you with some useful information or ways of looking at things and things that are not the typical how to play a G chord, how to pick flats G run, or how to do the two, three slide in Scruggs style banjo, or how to do the basic claw hammer lick, or how to play this song or that song. You know, I'm not using the podcast to teach theory and techniques and things. As I've stated, I think in episode one, I stated that this podcast is meant to be all of those other things that are not neatly packaged into some sort of instructional book. You know, if you bought Scruggs banjo book in there, you know, the main purpose of that is to teach you how to play, you know, his style of banjo playing. There's not a lot of information in there about, you know, how to get how to get booked in Hollywood on the Beverly Hillbillies show. It's not, you know, it's maybe mentioned, but exactly how to do those things is not talked about. So, as I stated at the very outset of this, this podcast is meant to be a place for me just to tell you all of those other things that I think might be helpful to you. Because I have a lot of experience in doing many of the things that you might want to do. Now, there are things that I do not have experience in or or limited experience in. And when those things come up, I freely admit it and, you know, give you my two cents worth on it. But that may be exactly what that particular advice is worth. For example, if, if you want to know what are the what is the best advice you could give me to you know, become a professional and be um, um, invited to join the the cast of the Grand Ole Opry. Well, you know, I might give you my two cents worth because, you know, I know a little about it, but don't really ask me that because I haven't done that. What do I know about that? I'm not a member of the Grand Ole Opry, never will be. Pretty confident of that. 
but I've been to the Grand Ole Opry and I've read about a lot of the people who played on the Grand Ole Opry and how they got on there. You know, I might be able to give you my two cents worth, but that'll be exactly what's that, what that is worth. But if you ask me, you know, well, how do I juggle being married, having children, having a job and playing in a band and playing professionally, but more or less locally and doing 50, 60 jobs a year and rehearsals and occasional travel. How do you make that work? Well, that I can tell you about because I did that and, and still do that. I, I don't do it today quite at the level that I did 10 years ago, going all the way back to the late seventies. But now that kind of stuff is worth more than two cents. <laughs> Might be worth five bucks to you. Anyway, the point I'm making is that if you're interested in accomplishing certain goals, well, I'll give you my two cents worth, but I really need to tailor my advice to a specific subset of the audience because not everybody has the same goals. So in this episode, what I'm going to try to do is try to just throw out some basic advice and how my mind might shift to a specific subset of the bluegrass playing community. And there are two ways to give advice. You can make your advice very general so that it applies to everyone. That's the kind of advice you find in instructional materials. You know, you, you don't want to talk too much about the specifics of, of, you know, business practices of like how much you sh should you be paid for a gig? And, you know, when you play it on the North side, you know, that kind of thing, because that doesn't apply to the guy that, He's not gigging. He's just, he gets just going to some jam sessions or he plays in a, in a little group at his church or something. And so that can be wasted breath doling out specific advice to a general audience. So a lot of, a lot of times the advice is made so general that 80% of the listening audience doesn't gain anything from it, you know, because it just doesn't apply to what they're doing and what they want to do. So, you know, general advice could be things like in, in terms of playing, it could be how to tune your instrument. It could be how to play a pentatonic scale in all 12 major keys or how to play old Joe Clark or over the waterfall or, you know, those are general bits of information and advice that really apply to everyone who might want to do bluegrass at any level. Or I should not say in any level, I should say in any direction, because if you start out and you want to play bluegrass and you move, let's use the level climbing the ladder and you move up to where you're a competent jam session player, and then you move up to the level where you're a part-time band member, and then you move up to the more professional band level, but local. And then you move up to the regional professional act. Maybe you're still holding down a day job. Or you move up to the full-time professional touring act. And then you move up to the, the hallowed halls of the greats. 
that implies that the people on one level are somehow better than the people below. And, and maybe perhaps musically that is true, but it, it doesn't make them better people. Okay. Some of the most wonderful people you'll ever run across are on the bottom rung. And you know, the reverse is true. And some of those people at the top are still not doing the thing that they want to be doing. And a lot of the people at the bottom are not doing the thing that they want to be doing, but a lot of them are. So this thing of stacking things hierarchically upwards and assuming that the next higher level is a better level, I don't think it's true. I think we should look at it more in a horizontal way in terms of direction. We have this little covey of quail here of all the people that ever got started playing bluegrass and they set out to feed and this quail goes in that direction. This one goes in that direction and this one goes in that direction. One is moving towards one goal and one towards another and one towards another. And they're all kind of spreading out laterally. None are really better than the other. So I'm not here to criticize your goals. Okay. So that's that first point about you can make your advice very general. So it applies to everyone or the second way is you can make your recommendation specific to the little small subset of the audience. Examples of that are, you know, with a beginner, it might be, you know, how do you hold a pick? Or um, if, if you're some sort of hotshot kid that just is just, you know, boiling over with talent and ability and you want to go pro, well, my advice to that person, even though they might be the same age playing the same instrument, might be very little information about how to play the thing. It could be, you know, some advice like, okay, don't get married. Don't take on any financial obligations and pack your bags and move to Nashville or Austin or somewhere up in Virginia or Boston or East Tennessee State University and learn how to live cheap. You get what I'm saying? I would give that person different advice than a person of the same age who, you know, comes in making it clear that they just want to learn how to play and, you know, their dad's got a band or their uncle's got a band. They would like to be able to play in that band or something. I'd have different, you know, advice for that. So anyway, you get the basic idea. What I'm going to do is break down the general audience, which is a small audience of people who play bluegrass and people who might want to. That's, that's the audience that I assume is out there. I'm going to subdivide those into some categories and some of these might remind you of you. And then I'll just, you know, tell you how kind of my mind shifts gears and what I might suggest for that smaller subset. I've had a lot of people come to me for lessons, private lessons, and I've learned a tremendous amount from them. It's the exact opposite of the way you would think. You would think they learned a lot from me and they did about how to play and things, but you learn a lot by people calling you up and knocking on your door and bringing their instrument case in. They're people of different ages, different sexes, different dreams, different desires. And you know, I, the 
the musical content of the lesson is going to be pretty much the same based upon what their present ability level is and their present knowledge base. That stuff doesn't change. You know, I'm going to teach a 70 year old guy who's taken up the, he suddenly got the burning desire to be a banjo player with no past musical experience. I'm going to teach him the same stuff that I teach the seven year old kid who walks in wanting to learn to play the banjo. But you know, before the lesson, after the lesson, all those things that I talk to him about and that I mention and things like I'm more likely to tell that 70 year old guy say, Hey, by the way, there's, there's this great festival coming up this weekend. It's about two hours away. You might want to, you might want to go up there. It's I've been to it a number of times. It's a really good jamming scene. And I think you'd really like it. I'm probably tell him that, but I probably wouldn't tell the seven year old kid that because he doesn't own a motor home or he doesn't even own a tent and he's got to talk his parents into this sort of thing. And maybe I wouldn't actually encourage the, you know, the seven year old or the 10 year old to go hang out at this festival because I have seen the moonshine jug passed around, you know? So you tailor your advice for the person who's in front of you, but with selling instructional videos and eBooks and those, those things where I don't know who the person is. I see their email address. That's all I get when somebody buys something. Once in a while, it shows the name. And it, it may show what part of the world they're in. But I still don't know you. And, you know, you could be, you could have tons of professional experience playing, you know, you may be the world's, one of the finest banjo players in the world, but you've decided to take up the dulcimer for some reason, and you bought this dulcimer instruction course. In other words, I don't know you from Adam when you purchase something from me. And I've tried to keep my door open as far as, you know, send me an email, ask me a question, you know, things like that. And I do get those emails from time to time from people, and they they give me their little backstory. You know, I, I live down here in Texas and I've, I played guitar for 25 years and I did this and that. And, you know, I got me a mandolin and I'm blah, 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 you know? Well, now I, I kind of picture them a little bit and I've, I can give them more than two cents worth. So anyway, these, all these people would come to lessons and it taught me a lot about, you know, what should I tell that guy or get? So today, and like I said before, I covered some of this, this theme, not in this specific way, but similar in the episode called Choosing a Guide, episode number 15. And if you're binge listening or if they just come up in your feed in reverse order, I highly recommend that, that if what I'm talking about is of interest to you, that you go listen to episode 15 again. Okay. So in this episode, I'm going to describe a handful of different folks with slightly different, you know, they're in different subsets of the whole category, people with different aspirations and dreams. Okay, so let's move to the first person, the first category. And it's what I might call the kid student, five years old up to maybe 12, 13. They're taking lessons because... They want to, they want to, they develop the desire to play banjo, play guitar, play mandolin, play bass, whatever. And they pushed, that kid pushed mom or dad into, you know, 
I want a banjo. I want a mandolin. I want a fiddle. I want, you know, and I want to take the lessons and I want to buy this book. I want to buy, you know, you got that kind of kid or you have the, the same kid, well, different kid, but mom and dad are pushing them, possibly pushing them in a direction that they don't even know what they're, what they're about to do. Like, could be mom and dad think a mandolin would be really cool. Maybe dad plays the mandolin or used to play the mandolin or, or he plays the banjo and, you know, he thinks, well, you know, I sure would like junior to take up the mandolin. And maybe the kid doesn't really, didn't really do this on their own. Well, let's just lump all those together with that kid, you know, five years old. And I've taught him as young as five to up to maybe 12. I'm going to do basic instruction. Same thing I would do with anybody. How to hold it, how to tune it, how to play your basic chords, how to pick, depending on the instrument. Obviously, all this stuff's going to change, but I'm going to walk them through personally the things that are in some of my instructional videos. Second thing I'm going to do is try to get them playing something, some music, not just scales, not just exercises. You got to get them playing songs and possibly singing. You know, I encourage that a lot with people. Try to get them playing something. Something, you know, play music. I'm not saying that all the exercises and scales and all that stuff is not important. It is very important if you want to advance as a musician. But it's also ultimately extremely important to be able to do something with all that. Play a song. I've mentioned, I don't remember which podcast, but I had a friend of mine who was a chronic saxophone and trombone practicer. He practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. I used to work for the guy and he would be upstairs practicing his instrument while I would be downstairs working in the piano shop. I used to rebuild Steinways and Mason and Hamlin's. I'd hear him up there, practice, 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 practice. But he never played a gig. Or very, very, very rarely did he ever perform anything. He was a bass player, and he did go out and perform as a bass player. But he took up the interest in the sax, and he just practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced. But he never, I never heard him play a song on the thing. But by God, he played some exercises, and he got to be pretty good at them. Anyway, I try to encourage that kid Get them playing something, get them playing a song. And the third thing would be try to get them to play with others. And it may begin with sending them home some play along tracks and say, here, play along with this. And that simulates playing with other people. But I really want them to get around other musicians. So trying to bring them up to the level where they can drop in and hang in there at a jam. Because when you're playing with other people in the real world, and you get a, a broad sampling of the different types of jam sessions and things that can come up. You may look, you may suddenly not want to play the mandolin as much as you want to play the fiddle. Or you may suddenly be fascinated by the dobro. So you need exposure to that. It could be visual. It could be just, you know, the way that banjo player seems to be having a whole lot of fun. And you think, gosh, maybe. Maybe I should play the banjo, you know? So you try to get them real world experience. And a lot of times in lessons, you know, that means talking to the parent too. 
And I always like to remind the parents of that kid. Unless it's that kid who came in with that burning desire to play the mantle and be the next Chris Thiele. That kid, I, I don't want to worry about. But could be the other kid. I may talk more to the parents, you know, kind of off to the side, you know. Don't spend a whole lot on their instrument right now. Just get a good basic, you know, beginner level instrument and be prepared. Because Junior may change his mind and, and suddenly want to do something else. You know, do a different instrument. And it may be a wise choice. He may be, look, here, here's the truth. You're a lot more likely to flourish as a musician if you're doing the thing you want to do. The same is true when you send a kid off to school. When they sit him in the chair and the teacher tells them what they are going to learn that day, they're not going to learn it as much or as deeply and insightfully as if the kid said, I want to learn X, Y, Z. Tell me about it. Show me, show me, show me. This is what I'm interested in. And classrooms all across America, certainly, and probably around the world, are full of kids who are not interested in the thing they're being taught. And you see that in private lessons. At least when somebody purchases a download of an ebook or video, you can think, well, they're probably at least interested in playing the banjo and they want to learn some claw hammer. But that internal desire is what drives mega learning. If you want to learn about something, you will. Nothing will prevent it. There are things that can help you. That's what I try to do. That's what my business is. But I just try to caution the parent that, you know, little Johnny might change his tune and might you might be pawning this, you know, mantling off and you might be buying an upright bass, you know, one of these days. And I encourage you to do that. You know, make the kid mow lawns and save up for it. You know, try to make him at least earn it. And the fifth thing I would tell that kid student, or try to just reveal to them, is to pull the curtain back and show them more of what the world of music contains, what what is out there. Because they may come in and their only knowledge might be watching some YouTube videos. And they've never physically gone to a bluegrass festival. They've never physically sat in the in the audience and watched the David Grisman quintet or something, you know, or just try to encourage them to explore the full array of musical things that are out there and do it early because they may they may change their tune, you know. Okay, so enough about the kid student. And by the way, remember those five basic things. Because all of these other categories, if they walk in the door and have not played before, they're going to get that same treatment. Okay, so now let's move up to the teenager to maybe the college student. I'm going to do those same basic things that I would do with a kid student. You know, basic instruction, get them playing something, try to get them playing with others. Be open to the possibility of switching instruments. Maybe encourage them not to spend $1,500 on a banjo because, hey, dude... You might change your mind and want to be a dobro player, you know, and try to just open the doors and show them the history and try to reveal to them all the things that are going out, out there. So I've been do all those same things with that teenager to college student. 
Number two, with that category, I'm really going to try to help them advance because they're going to have more capacity than a five-year-old kid does. Most five-year-old kids, <laughs> you know, everybody sees these YouTube videos of the five-year-old phenom who can just, you know, but that's not normal. Most five-year-old kids, after about 10 minutes of playing the guitar, their fingers hurt and they just want to go play Minecraft. But by the time you get to be a teenager or a college student, you've had drilled into you enough, um, I don't know, the reality that it takes some work to do things. So I'm going to try to help them advance, you know, with more information, more songs, more techniques, more theory, more blah, blah, blah. And I'm also going to try to find out whether that teenager to college student, you know, what, what, what are they doing this for? Because by then it's less of a push by a parent or just a whim that they had as a child to, you know, they may be picturing themselves doing something with this. I want to find out if they're in it for the long haul or do they even know what the long haul is, but you know, pry into those areas and then just like the kid, I'm going to try to get them playing in jams, but with this much, because as a teenager to college student, you've got more autonomy to travel and move around and associate with different people. So with them, I'm going to encourage starting a band, even if it's just like a couple of clods that live in their dorm room who don't play bluegrass and they're going to get together and try to make a bluegrass band. I encourage that because you learn from that. Uh, so I'm going to encourage them to get out and get some real world experience. Okay. Then let's move to the adult. And I, by adult, I simply mean someone who is not free as a bird and broke like most teenagers and college students, but somebody who is, they now have a career job family and either they may have been playing already or they may be brand new to it, but my advice for them is going to be a little different because that the college student, you know, it's like they could still potentially branch off in any direction. But once you have a wife and kids and a mortgage and things like that, some of those doors have closed to you. So I'm going to go through all of the above, all the stuff that with the kid and with the teenager college student, and just, you know, talk about them. But, I'm going to, with the, with the adult who has a job and, you know, is somewhat planted, I'm going to, you know, ask them if they're in a band, you know, they ever thought about starting a band. Are they going to jams? Are they going to festivals? And then I want to find out, you know, like, why, why do you want to play this thing? And a lot of times, um, you know, people, they don't know, they don't know why it could just be a whim. You know, they saw some guy doing it and they thought it might be cool to do it. And that's a good reason, but as they learn to play it, learn to play it, it might dawn on them that, man, you know, if I had a little band, I, I could actually pick up a little extra spending money, you know, with, if we played a couple of gigs, I might be able to make three or 400 bucks a month extra, you know, that could be a good thing. And I'd have fun doing it, you know, and it'd beat having that second job as a pizza hut delivery guy. So you just you know, talk to them about all the possibilities. And again, you know, I'm going to instruct them in the, in the how to stuff, but you know, this side conversation is going to be a, more about things like that.
you know, and folks like that, that working adult, they're, they're not likely to, you know, suddenly quit their job and move to a new part of the country and attempt to go pro. It doesn't mean it can't happen. It does occasionally happen. Usually ends in divorce, but they are likely that adult is likely to have the desire to play professionally, but on a part-time basis and do it locally or regionally. That's a very common goal that I've seen. A lot of times, uh, you know, if they're an adult, let's say the guy's 30 years old or 40 years old and he starts playing, he may not have the belief that even that is possible. He knows he's never going to be on the Grand Ole Opry. At least that's his mindset. So because he has that mindset, he won't. He will not be on the Grand Ole Opry. But that mindset may change as he's, you know, taking lessons for two years and is really making, you know, good progress. And he's going to jams and he's, he's really becoming a better player. Then his desires may change. But those commitments of family, kids in school, house note, car note, punching that time clock, those things are probably not going to change. So he may begin to get the desire to do something more with it, to go up the ladder or go in a different direction. And that is the field that's open to him to to play professionally in a, as good a band as they can put together with the local musicians that are available, but do it part-time, do it locally and regionally. That is a very real thing that can happen. And I have tremendous experience in that zone and so, you know, with that person, aside from the technique of how to play, how to do the things they're wanting to do and the theory and, you know, chords and, you know, aside from all that, I may talk to them about, you know, how to find other musicians, how to rehearse, how to pick a band name, how how to arrange songs, how to stack vocals, how the, the how to entertain, how to operate a PA system, you know. The business of getting gigs and what about recording? And I might talk to him about, you know, my thoughts on, you know, getting a band photograph or putting a website together and all those things. And a lot of those topics I'm covering in this podcast because I do it because, you know, it's just my thoughts on this thing. I can't package those things and sell them. And, you know, most of the audience may not be interested in that. It could only be 20% of the people who are listening to me right now have any at present desire to be a part-time professional bluegrass band or that working adult with a career job, family, home bills to pay. They may just want to jam. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I always tell you, do, do what you want to do. They may just want to jam and be better at it. So, you know, with them topics might be, you know, how to develop the ability to improvise better or, you know, how to harmony sing better or jam session etiquette or suggestions of good festivals to go to or, you know, stuff like that instead of, you know, like how to get gigs. Of course, all those things that I did with the, the five to 12 year old kid, the basic stuff of how to play would also come into play if they have never played before. 
Then now we'll move to the next category of potential, you know, person. And that is the teen or young adult or adult who demonstrates some sort of burning desire to go pro. And they may not verbalize it, but they may just be holding it in their mind. But as you, if you pry a little bit as a teacher, you, you can, you know, discover these things. Like I might sit there and talk to them about, you know, like back in the eighties, we used to do a lot of festivals and we used to, you know, we did this thing here and thing here. And if they, if they seem really interested and they ask you questions about that, then maybe they're interested in doing a similar thing. Uh, so with them, you know, I would start with, well, are you married? You know, do you have a mortgage? Do you have a car payment? You know, and if you are married, does your spouse have a job? And is she willing to carry you because this is not the way to make money, son? <laughs> is she cool with this whole idea? Yeah. I mean, if that person has the burning desire to go pro, probably the best. I mean, you you have to determine like how many how many ball balls and chains are shackled to their legs. If they don't have any. It's a different set of advice you would give them. But if they have some, you know, you might suggest that they, you know, think about that semi-pro working local musician, you know, because I would tell them, you know, there is a good chance. Certainly I would tell them that if a person from America's Georgia in the little town in South Georgia where I live, if somebody to, from this town came to me and said, or, or, I determined that they really had this burning desire to be pro. I mean, go pro, be a full-time professional touring bluegrass musician. If that person, I would say to them just straight out, well, you're going to have to move, you know, you, if that is your desire, you must put yourself in the company of folks with similar goals and the similar freedom to act on those goals. You know, there's, there's a lot of people like when I was knocking around for so many years in the Atlanta area, there were plenty of people with abilities, playing abilities, but very few, a small, small segment of them who you could say, Hey, we're, we're, you know, we're going on tour for six months. You, you know, you want to play with us. You're going to get a no because man, I got a job, you know, I'm working for Delta airlines. I, I can't, I, I, you know, if I quit my job and took off with you guys, my wife would kill me and she might literally kill him, you know? So you got to find out, you know, if that, if that teen young adult or adult does not have those stakes in the ground too deeply, and they're willing to make the move. Now, they may already be in a location that is has a sufficient number of similarly minded folks. In that case, they wouldn't have to move. But that thing, you've got to put yourself in the in this in the company of folks with similar goals. And by the way, that doesn't just apply to the you want to be a touring pro. It applies if you want to be a semi-pro local musician. You gotta find those people who can and want to do that. 
if you just want to jam, you got to find the jammers. You know, you got to put yourself in the company of folks with similar goals. And you have to have the freedom to act on those goals. So maybe, maybe you're retired or near retirement age, moving to a new category of person. There are some examples of people who played bluegrass first as a beginner and a jammer and, you know, concert attendee, festival attendee, and then had local bands and started playing some gigs and became, you know, a very well-established local and then possibly regional act, but never went full bore pro, but suddenly they retired and maybe their, their father died and left them $300,000 and they're sitting there thinking, well, the house is paid for, the kids have all moved out. Hmm. Maybe I make a run at, you know, going pro. This happens. I won't mention any names, but there are some people who have popped up on the festival circuit very late in their life. You know, they had the freedom to go out and play and, um, you know, barely break even. Because, you know, a lot of their their livelihood was already established. They had the retirement check coming in from, you know, their stint in the military and their 20 years with the FAA. And they got a little inheritance and the house is paid for and the kids are all married and they got kids of their own. And suddenly there's they don't have to make the rent. So they think, well, hey, let's start. I'll start a band. And, and they find a bunch of young guys who are not married, have no car note, have no, they don't even have an apartment. They're, you know, staying with somebody else or whatever. And, and they form a band up and off they go and they're doing it. They are professional bluegrass musicians. So sometimes those two groups can merge together. But for that person, if, if that was the person they were thinking about doing that, you know, I would, again, give them all the advice of the, all the other groups. I mean, those beginners, if they need to learn how to play, I mean, it's going to be unlikely that a person is going to suddenly, you know, retire and have this little nest egg and have their situation just totally cool. And they're, they're now free to go out and be a traveling bluegrass musician, but they've never played a note. That is going to be a very rare bird. I've never actually seen that. There, you know, what would cause you suddenly at, you know, age 67 to suddenly want to take up the banjo and go pro, you know, that doesn't really happen. Okay. Anyway, when you're talking about those retired people, one of the things that I run across quite frequently is that even though they've been playing, they may have been playing a while and, you know, but they've been, you know, doing real life along with it. A lot of them do not have the belief that they could achieve, you know, rung three on the ladder. They they do think that they might be able to do rung two, but they just, there's no way for number three and four and five, you know, those upper levels, they just do not have any, you know, a lot of times that, that late in life, let's, let's just say, pushing 60 and beyond a lot of times they, they do just want to jam and maybe do some casual performing. Maybe there's a festival that they go to on a regular basis and they would like to have a band 
of sufficient quality to actually be booked at that festival. Maybe they play two, three festivals a year. You know, I could, I'll have some things to suggest to them there. Uh, maybe they, you know, have a church uh, musical group or something that they, they just, you know, that's their dream. Hey, cool. You know, what do you, what do you want to do? You know, uh, there were a few times that uh, in Atlanta I did group or while I was in Atlanta for many, many years. But for about the last five years before I moved away, I offered group bluegrass band lessons. So, you know, let's say you, you've, you've been a jammer and you've, you've been, you know, taking lessons and, you know, you form this little band of like-minded people who are, you know, playing your, you know, church barbecues and going to the freebie festivals and little town events and things like this. And you get your little band together, but you want to be better as a band. I used to offer this lesson where, okay, well, the whole band will come on Wednesday night at eight o'clock and we'll do two hours per session. And it's, you know, going to be 10 bucks per guy, you know, or gal or whatever it is. It's only 10 bucks instead of my, you know, everybody, chips in we're going to do a two-hour session and we're just going to work as a band i'm going to advise you you know about how to be a better band and a lot of times it was things like you know trying to get them squared away on the concept of a good song arrangement or you know straightening out some harmony vocals or just suggesting little things that you might want to you know try doing split breaks or how to organize your backup playing a little better you know like Maybe the fiddle back up the second half of the chorus here and da 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 da, you know. Ways to improve their band's performance. And then along with that would, you know, come some of that advice about, you know, how to get gigs. And, and I would generally record them, too, in this process. If they did it for, you know, a couple of months, we're also going to make some demo recordings as a learning experience. So they can, they may have never really listened to what they really sound like. And so we'd set up some in the room, just, you know, a little stereo recording set up and listen back to it and then analyze it as a group. Like, what do you guys think of what's going on here? And then a lot of times we would end up downstairs in the studio actually putting together a demo, some kind of a demo that they could use to help them get some gigs. So I did that kind of thing. That might be all of the desire and the goals that those people have. And that's cool. I, I don't, you know, I, everybody doesn't need to be on the Grand Ole Opry. I don't, I don't think it's big enough to hold everybody. And, you know, I guess what I'm saying is, whatever your goals are, you should pursue them. Whatever they are. Now, if... So let me back up and put a little asterisk by that. If you come in and you have four kids and a house note and a car note, and you don't seem to be, you know, too well set up financially and you come in and your goal is to, uh, you know, be a full-time touring bluegrass musician and blah, blah, blah. I may not actually offer that guy much help because I don't want him to wreck his life, you know, so I, I don't want to be a party to that. I don't want him to blame me later. Yeah, that Brad Laird said, 
well, you need to quit your job. Quit your job, divorce your wife, blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm not going to be to blame for that. So a lot of times I wouldn't, you know, go there. Now, those people are pretty rare. I will tell you that. Maybe uh, one out of 50 people that called up and walked in the door for any kind of lessons or anything actually had the the delusion or or the belief that, you know, they were going pro. Anyway, uh, you, you get a, those adults that they don't have those goals, but they might, you know, want to edge their way into the local bluegrass scene. So I also might talk to them about their instruments and better instruments and PA systems. And, and then you might have people that just don't really express any desire to play in a band format, not a regular band with a name, you know, and charging for gigs. So with somebody like that, I might talk to them about, you know, uh, jam sessions and maybe urge them to maybe start a jam and be the host of a jam. Because it, if you're not getting the jamming in your life that you desire, maybe you could start one. And I've started, well, let's see, how many did I start? I did one at the five spot. Um, I did one at, especially for you, I did one, gosh, I can't remember. I think I've started, oh, 15th Street piece. Anyway, I think I've started four jam sessions and, you know, like promoted it and hosted it and tried to make it happen on four different occasions. So I got a little something I can advise them, you know, and somebody else might be in a situation where they, they're thinking, maybe I could start my own festival. Well, I've done that too on a, on a kind of a small scale. I've had my own festival had it two years in a row. Then I decided to just, uh, <laughs> just, uh, quit that idea. I was losing way too much money on that. So I, I canned my uh, Laird Family Bluegrass Festival. Anyway, but maybe they want to try that, and I can tell them my experience about that. Anyway, in closing, instructional material, that stuff I peddle on my website over at bradleylaird.com, that stuff is for everybody. But I can't, you know, I can't insert into that all that specific kind of stuff and look, I'm not saying that I am the purveyor or the provider of all the knowledge you need to do all the possible goals. No, I'm not claiming that. When I talk about something here on the podcast, I, I try to limit myself to talking about something I actually know about or I've actually done or I've seen or I've studied carefully and I'm pretty confident of what I'm saying. But that those things you're going to find in the podcast or in my blog, or that's, that's where you're going to find them. Or you're going to find them in similar things said by other people. I recently did the episode pointing out different podcasts and I encourage you to go check them out. You know, I'm just one voice, you know, I have some good ideas about things, but there are plenty of other people with lots of good perspectives on, you know, these on achieving that goal for you. So, it really gets down to this. It doesn't matter to me what your goal is or what your goals are. You may not even know what they are. That's very common. Most people don't have goals or they got these kind of vague like images. Like I can see myself possibly doing that, you know, but they haven't crystallized into 
I am going to do X, Y, and Z by February the 10th. You know, most people haven't got them down that, that well defined. And there's always the possibility, uh, there's almost the absolute certainty that goals are going to change because as you change, your goals change, you know. So because of all that, I don't care what your goal is, but I do encourage you to try to at least think about what, what your goals are. And then the best way to get information and advice and, you know, per, perhaps encouragement or tips or little insider help or a little somebody pulling you up the rungs of the ladder is you got to get out and talk to people. You got to find people. Find the person who is doing the thing that you picture you might be able to do. If it's going to jam sessions, go to, if you want to be a good jammer, go to good, go to jams and you see people that are good jammers, talk to them, find out what they're doing. You know, if you want to be in a local band, go to their shows. You should always do that. You should support your local musicians and put some money in that tip bucket and support the venues who, who make it happen. But talk to them. How long you been playing? Where do you live? You know, how do you learn to play the thing? You know, uh, how did you meet these other guys? And, you know, you become friends with those people and they'll share information with you. I'm just putting it out here in, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm like the, standing at the top of a tower with a bullhorn, just, you know, announcing to the world this, this and that, you know. But I don't know who's out there. So in this episode, I just tried to divide you up into little groups and give you a little something for each. And sometimes these podcasts are directed at just a very small subset. You know, you're going to uh, come across an episode that, well, this doesn't really apply to me at all, but hope you enjoy them anyway. But today I just want to talk about those groups and get you thinking about where you fit into the bluegrass scene. Okay, now just a little quick housekeeping. Just past the 25,000 total downloads of the podcast, which to me, that sounds huge. To Joe Rogan, that's a bad day. <laughs> if, you know, that guy's probably in the millions of downloads or whatever. And, I don't religiously listen to that, but hey, if you're if you're up in the number one, two, three slot from time to time on the iTunes or Apple Podcasts, you know, search rankings, you're getting a lot of downloads. And when I started this, I mentioned this a couple of times early on that, you know, when I first put the podcast out, I think I had two episodes up and I was watching, oh my God, somebody downloaded it. And by the end of the night, I was like, there have been 15 downloads, man, this is great. So thinking that way and of what a small niche of the you know world population <laughs> this is designed for, I think 25,000 is pretty good. So I was telling my wife about this. I was, yeah, I just passed the 25,000 total downloads. She's kind of nodding, you know, she's probably thinking about, you know, that YouTube video she watched today that had, you know, 1.6 million views. She's probably thinking, yeah, my husband, he's all right. But, you know, still kind of 
pokey. She didn't say those things, but I'm just thinking maybe she was thinking, well, 25,000 isn't that much. But I, I was kind of waiting for her response. And I said, but think about this. I've put out, you know, 80 some episodes. And if you take 25,000 divided by 80, and I don't have my calculator handy, uh, but well, let's just say it's 350 downloads per episode. That's the average up to this point. I said, think about this, honey. Imagine if I went down to downtown America's to that beautiful old Rylander theater. And I went down there once a week and I rented the place so that I could use it on Thursday night. And I had me a podium up there on the stage and I had the spotlight on me and I opened the doors free, free of charge, free to the public, not free to me. I had to rent the Rylander theater, but I walk up on stage and for one hour, approximately an hour, maybe 40 minutes sometimes, I pontificated about bluegrass and there were 350 people in that audience. People came in that, I mean, it's a packed house at the Rylander. And then I went back next Thursday, opened the doors, 350 people packed that place. And I did this week after week after week, 80 weeks in a row. I packed the Rylander with people sitting there silently listening to me talk about bluegrass. I'd say, if I did that, you would be a lot more impressed, wouldn't you? And she said, yeah, that would be pretty impressive. We just a couple of weeks ago, they had this uh, little, they have this little thing in town called first Friday. And it's kind of sponsored by the city and the businesses in town. They'll do a little something special, like have some samples and stay open later, or maybe have an open mic and have a, have a band playing and just a little downtown activity thing, you know, from like five to 8 PM on the first Friday of each month. And our little band, the pluck tones has played at different places on that first Friday. But that, that theater, the Rylander theater, which I think actually seats maybe 450 or 500. They were, you know, as part of this first Friday, threw the doors open wide. Anybody can come in and their staff, the light guy and the sound guy and the stage manager and so on, would give anybody that walked through the door a tour of that beautiful old theater and show them how the curtains operate and how the sound system operates and give them a chance to get on stage. And, you know, and they opened the doors. So we went, my wife and I and my son Jackson, we thought this would be cool, you know. Jackson done a couple little kids plays there before, so I've been there a few times. I went and actually saw kind of a semi-bluegrass act there one time. I saw the Lovell sisters perform a show at the Rylander Theater, sat in the front row and watched them. And I had played, maybe a year or two before that, I had, um, Cedar Hill had been their opening act on two different occasions. And, you know, I saw these young girls, gals or whatever up there doing their show. And I understand their band has now, that band is no more. And they have a band called Lark and Poe. Anyway, went down there to see them perform. But anyway, this first Friday event, they opened the doors. You know, there's 30,000 people in this county. You'd think somebody might walk in the door. I'm telling you, nobody came. There was a grand total of people coming for the 
free interesting tour of the there was maybe six maybe eight people total so bearing that in mind if i could pack that place with 350 people every week for 80 weeks i, I would feel like i had accomplished something so i try to look at this podcast and not get too depressed about the low numbers and um just say hey this is actually doing pretty pretty good Anyway, just want to say a quick thanks to anybody that has purchased any of my instructional material, ebooks, videos, etc., because that all goes in the same kitty and helps keep this thing going. And also want to say thank you to the anybody that has done the Grass Talk Radio supporter little deal where you can just basically chip in some money. Haven't had one of those recently, but maybe I will since I just mentioned it. I do need a little like green stuff to keep this thing going and to keep me interested. You know, if I did that, I will give my lecture every Thursday night at the Rylander. Nobody came, you know, or, or, you know, only five people came after probably a month or two of that. I probably quit, you know, cause I'm having to rent the theater. So anyway, I'm sure you guys understand all that stuff. Hope you enjoying the podcast and I will be back. <laughs>